Breathe in, breathe out. This is the focus group. It's the savvy side of nine to five. Listen. Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. Laugh. <laughs> and learn. Negotiation. This is what you do in business. This is the focus group with Tim Bennett. S T A U N C H. And John Nash. Keep your clothes looking neat and clean. We're all business. Except when we're not. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Focus Group. Tim Bennett here, as always, with my good friend and co-host, Mr. John T. Nash. Head over to focusgroupradio.com to find out all about us, including our Tuesday podcast, which is TFG Unbuttoned. You heard our teaser, which is Breathe In, Breathe Out, which uh, relates to one of our stories in our Caught My Eye segment, which is in the beginning of our program. And then after our break, we've got a Shop Talk segment which is where we discuss some career and business advice or an article that John and I have found that we think relates to career and business or advertising and marketing, which is where we spend most of our career. And then we finish up with our business birthday, which we've been doing for 13 or 14 years now. And John likes to have, uh, give that moniker, we're the only show in the universe that does business birthdays. Indeed. So, we've moved, so for those of you who are familiar with the show, we've moved that now to the end of the segment. Since uh, so many of you time shift, we don't do a... Uh, we don't do the call-in games anymore, so we've moved the birthdays to the back. One of our so, listeners, um, Heather, totally approves of the new show format. I think she likes having business birthday at the end. In fact, it sort of reminded me of one of our favorite shows, uh, which we were, it was not designed for us, but Pee Wee Herman. When Pee Wee's Playhouse came out, you, you know how many adults <laughs> made it a Saturday morning ritual to watch Pee Wee and Screen and Conky and Cherry and... <laughs> Miss Yvonne and Tito, the lifeguard. I mean, so the show always ended on a good note. So we always, yeah. now we end on business birthday and then he would get on his scooter and, and take off. Right. My friend, well, you know, Jay lived in, in Philly with me. She, she lived there. We all lived in this loft and a friend of ours, Brian and uh, Beth, they would host, uh, um, bloody Mary Saturdays in the morning and they would do bloody Marys and we'd all watch Pee Wee Herman and there was the word of the day and all the other, the nonsense that happened with Pee Wee's Playhouse. But it was very much an adult show as much as it was a kid's show, probably more so an adult show, I guess, with all the humor. Uh, I still laugh at it when I see it and I still love the Christmas special they used to do every year. I mean, that Pee Wee, Pee Wee's Playhouse Christmas special was the, other than probably Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the gayest thing ever on the holiday season, right? When Grace Jones is delivered in a box... And she comes out with that metal <laughs> brazier thing, the chest plate and the helmet. And she goes, Peewee, I was not supposed to be here. Then she goes, shall I play for? She does the little drummer boy bit. Y you couldn't. I just when scream Grace with Jones laughter. delivered in a, a box. box. Wearing a metal breastplate and a helmet. Then you know you're in a you're in unforeseen territory, but it's going to be fun, right? <laughs> right. Or Katie Lang is dancing in her, yeah. in her country and western garb. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's on Tito, the soccer player. I mean, it goes on and on and mm -hmm. on and on, right? Yeah. So how was your uh, how was your week, Mr. Nash or your weekend? Did you have a nice uh, I guess we're in the middle. So uh, it's it's you know what we're in the middle of. We're in the middle. We're dead winter. We're in the dead of winter. And I, I did actually go for a couple walks over the weekend and I went to a nature preserve up by us and I was the only one there because it was uh, 10 degrees out. I bundled up and I'm walking around and I actually walked into this area where there's no one around except like, you know, an old house and a stream. And I thought to myself, if I, something happened to me and I just got like, collapsed right here, you know, it's, I wonder how long it's going to take before they find the car in the lot, they follow the trail. <laughs> That's a stupid think way of thinking. Would find you? Yeah, I'd, I'd eventually be found, but there'd probably be like a bunch of rats and a wolf picking at the corpse. 
You don't have a lot of good eating, though. Me, just be some good eating. I'm a little, <laughs> a little more heftier. I'd, I'd probably survive. Animals would survive a little longer. You, they might pick a little bit. And yeah, move on. yeah. You know, I watch this thing. There's a, I don't know if you ever watch this. There's a, there's a college in Georgia, called, and and it's called Berry College, and they have this cam. For the last three or four years, I used to watch the eagles. The, the, they have an eagle cam, and there's a, a nest of eagles, and they would hatch these little eaglets. And they would feed them, and I'd be fascinated by what they would bring to the nest. It would be some carcasses of something. A field and, uh, mouse, you know, piece, a rat. Piece of, piece of a deer, a rat, whatever. You know, One time they brought part of a cat, which was kind of oof. But it's usually squirrels and some sort of coot or, 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 or fish or something. But the last... Three or four years, the, the the chicks have not survived, and so I was watching that this weekend, and and lo and behold, again the uh, for the third year now, the uh, the chicks have not survived in the nest. Kind of sad, but I used to actually it was very calming for me to watch this nest and watch the eagles feed. So now I need to find another nest. I, I, maybe it's my my grandmother used to love birds, and so we used to always watch this sort of thing. So for me, this was kind of kind of a soothing thing, but uh, I was kind of upset over the weekend that. Uh, that the eagles no longer uh, have have the babies down there in Georgia, so I don't know what to do. I, I need to find a new nest. If any listeners have a new nest for me to watch, let me know. I'm glad you brought up uh, birds because I actually love. I found that I really, really enjoy watching them. We have a bunch of bird feeders around. And there's a lot of cardinals in our, on our property right now, and obviously the well, not obviously if you know uh, birds, the males are the brightest, and because they're supposed to attract the attention and. I, I love the little games that they all play around the feeder. Who has the primacy to be up on the ledge? Who's eating the seeds that fell onto the ground? Do they get along? You know, it, and, and I just think birds are, and, and I'll say this. I was back when the weather was milder. I was bike riding one day and I was going on an empty country road. And it must have been, I guess it's a barn swallow, like a little tiny bird. Right. Literally flew right next to me going up and down and up and down and then it just went ahead of me and cut right in front and flew away and i just thought to myself don't tell me that bird was not having fun and it, it didn't realize what it was doing i don't know if it thought it was a game or something but it was following and then it was like look at i can go much faster than you <laughs> and it went away you know what they say about cardinals smart birds no that that, that um it's it's a uh, it's a loved one that's passed that's come to see you really let you know things are okay yeah well, that was a lot of loved ones hanging comfort. out at the feeder. Yeah. <laughs> it could be, you know, it could be a loved one coming to let you know yeah. things are okay. It's it's a good thing to think anyway. All right, I, I, I'll, I'll take that. that I'll take that, them. yeah. Yeah, you think of a loved one and, and make sure to remind them of, of somebody like that. So so what uh, what caught your eye this week, Mr. Nash? What caught your eye? Here's what Tim and John found. All right, uh, mine might be a little tiny long, bit long because I'm going to read directly from the piece, but it came out of the New York Post, and the headline reads, The Shockingly Dark History of Chippendales. Uh-oh. Yeah, so I read this, I read it twice, and I put up on, if you're watching on the video on YouTube, um, I put up some antique pictures. They're from when Chippendales first came out. I mean, this goes back to the 70s, I think, and the guys have really long hair. Yeah. <laughs> They have really long hair. and All right, so um, in the 80s, early 80s, as many as 900 women a night would press into Chippendale's Upper East Side Club and chant, we want meat, we want meat. <laughs> the oiled, muscled dancers would comply, stripping down on stage before venturing through the audience to kiss customers and accept dollar bills in their G-string pouches. So a podcast hosted by hosted and co-produced by a woman named uh, Natalie, Natalia, sorry, Natalia uh, Petrozella, uh, she has a podcast called Welcome to Your Fantasy, and this dropped a Wednesday, two, one or two Wednesdays ago, and she 
profiled the dark history of the Chippendales. Um, so, you know, there were stories about the dancers making $300 to $1,500 an encounter for sex from some of the club patrons. That's we, A lot of us know that. There is one story she recounts where she says, this woman said to one of the Chippendales dancers, I'll give you 100 for every inch of Coke. I can start off your C-K. <laughs> off his, uh, his John, I suppose. His member. His member. But all that paled besides... What went down, beside what went down between uh, Steve Banerjee and Nick DeNoia. The former launched Chippendales in 1979 in a Los Angeles bar, and that would be Steve Banerjee. And the latter turned it into a global phenomenon. By the 1990s, the business would be plagued by a murder, arson attempts, and an FBI investigation. Did you ever think that with Chippendales, right? No. So Banerjee was an emigre from India and uh, socially awkward, and he stole the idea of men stripping for women from a bar in Redondo Beach and employed it after trying backgamming, dinner theater, and mud wrestling, those didn't take off, in a bid to keep his own struggling joint afloat. Out of the gate, there were lines around the block. A couple years later, he hired this guy named Denoya, an, an Emmy-winning children's television producer, to take the show from beefcake amateur hour to Vegas-worthy extravaganza. The two were like oil and water from the start. They feuded over money and control. Denoya proposed a deal in which he would launch a New York version of the show and keep half the revenue. But that's not all. Nick wrote on a paper napkin that he was to take, he had the right to take Chippendales on the road and own it in perpetuity. Former review host Dan Peterson says in the podcast, the one I mentioned earlier, that Steve signed the note, Steve Banerjee, the guy that originally started Chippendales, he signed it and gave away the rights to the most profitable part of the business because he did not know what the word per, in perpetuity meant. Oh, stop. So he didn't know that it meant literally for the rest of time. <laughs> Forever right? and ever. So over the next four years, the enterprise made millions. Charismatic Denoya, the producer guy that had him, the original guy, sign this napkin and gave him the rights, received all the acclaim, celebrated on J Sally Jassy Raphael, Phil Donahue. Meanwhile, the stuttering Banerjee felt deeply scorned. He was also facing financial stress. Here's one of my favorites. Mounting back taxes, a $70,000 reprint fee due to a Chippendales calendar air each month had 31 days. <laughs> Tell me you can make that up, right? And a lawsuit from Denoya after Banerjee sent out his own Chippendales touring company. Steve Banerjee decided one day to have Nick killed. Literally, this business partner guy who made him sign the paper napkin or he didn't understand the terms, he said, I'm going to have him killed. What does he do? Banerjee mistakenly assumes that a Bronx-born friend of his named Ray Cologne was mobbed up. He fit the stereotype of a mafia soldier. He was so intense. Cologne wasn't that, but he did, in fact, go out and hire a, a junkie named Louie to do the deed. In 1987, Louie strolled into Denoya's Midtown office and shot him in the face. Could you believe this, right? Sounds like one of our clients. A police investigation went nowhere. In 1988, Denoya's family sold his share of Chippendales back to Banerjee, the guy that arranged the hit, for $1.3 which was about 10 times less than it was worth at that time. Next, Steve Banerjee, the owner, came up with the idea of killing the competition, oh my God. which refers to a rival group of men dancers called Adonis, men of Hollywood. Banerjee hired another amateur hitman named Strawberry. <laughs> So I, the two favorite parts are the calendars with 31 days per month and the hitman named Strawberry. Strawberry got cold feet, and he was actually hired by that same guy, the Cologne guy. He got cold feet, and he told the FBI that he'd been hired, and then the, he turned in Cologne, who then flipped on Banerjee, and then Banerjee was arrested on the murder of uh, Denoya and, of course, the planned one of the other guy. 
Before pleading guilty to racketeering, attempted arson, and murder for hire, um, he transferred his possessions to his wife. They soon divorced, and she sold Chippendales. The night prior to his sentencing, Steve Banerjee killed himself by hanging himself in a prison cell with a bedsheet. Chippendales lives on via tours in Las Vegas, where, pre-pandemic, some 250,000 people saw the show annually. It holds an interesting legacy despite a dark past. So a little bit of a long one, but um, uh, yeah, dirty play in the world of Chippendales, right? (laughs) Are you shocked by this? Well, I'm kind of shocked by it because, well, I got a lot to say about it, I guess, but I... I often wonder when they, you know, these murder for hire plots that you hear about all the time and the greed and all the other nonsense. I often wonder how these people think they're never going to get caught. Could you imagine you hired someone to kill someone? And you think you're never that person's never going to rat. They're never going to tell. I agree with you when it's so high profile. The, the Chippendales thing always amazed me that you and I, when we did, a, a, you know, many years ago, you and I had done some work for Las Vegas mm-hmm. and we had done the Las Vegas pool party and we worked with James Vaughn, who, by the way, I don't know if you know on the sidebar now, he's, you know, he's got a, got a travel company. We yep. can talk about just, that another but time. But he used to be a Chippendale, one of the only gay Chippendale dancers, right? Right. And, and so we had gone and, and we had watched the show and I was really disappointed in the show in Vegas because you could see more at the pool party. With people walking around just that were guests at the at the Luxor, yeah, then you, you would on. with the Chippendales. You know, somebody would come out, and these guys were all very, in, you know, in great shape, and probably most of them were straight or whatever. And the women are all dancing and screaming and yelling at them in the in the audience. But what I found odd about the whole thing is, they would dance and they'd be cowboys or whatever they would, and they would take their shirts off, and that was about it. That was it. That was it. Right, and, yeah. and then right before they met, you know, whip their 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 pants off or whatever they had on or their towel. Where they would then be in a in in a in a speedo or something, the lights would go dark. But that's what you wanted to see, right? You wanted to see the butt and the and the and the down below. <laughs> I they agree. They never showed anything. They never showed yeah. anything below the waist, and not that they were going to be nude, but you never even saw that part. And I thought, this is what a waste of money this would be to me. I don't know. You saw more at the pool. Yeah, I just remember I, we, we. I think we went to the Chippendales with Katie too, and I think Katie yeah, was we like, "This was a waste of time." Katie was like, "You know, I could have, yeah." So there you go. So uh, what caught your eye, sir? <laughs> well, mine is vastly different. So this and and um, this might have also been covered in the New York Post. I don't know. The New York Post is quite the paper, by the way. Uh, it's a scandal rag sheet, practically. Yeah. So the headline here is: Massachusetts man swallows his earpods in his sleep. Have you seen this? He swallowed his earpods. Well, they could have fallen out easily. Yeah, you know? I didn't see this at all. This is news to me. So this caught my eye because I, in fact, John and I had talked about this. I had the ear, I had the earpods, and this is the old, the original model. So there's a new one now that stays in your ear, supposedly a little better. The noise canceling ones, yeah. Adapter thing, but the old one for me, my right one would fall out all the time. And one time I was actually using the facility in the bathroom, and it fell out as I flushed the toilet and went shooting down the street. I you watched it on the sewer with the my sewer. Find My iPad app, saw it going down the drain. So. I thought, well, here we go. So this guy was sleeping with his earpods and he was sleeping to music. And um, he woke up and he had trouble breathing, he said. And he couldn't figure out why. He just thought, well, maybe it's just, uh, you know, I'm not feeling well or whatever. And they had a big snowstorm in Massachusetts. So he went out to go shovel the lawn or shovel the driveway. And he was having trouble breathing. But he thought, well, you know, he was looking for his, his, his AirPod and he couldn't find it. And he only had one of them. But he thought, well, it must be somewhere in the bed, but I'll find it later. So he and his wife and everybody, after he came in from shoveling and he had trouble breathing, 
Um, he, he'd come in from, from shoveling and having trouble, as I said, breathing. So he tried to drink some water. The water wouldn't go down. It was all stuck in his throat. So he Oof. had to lean over and the water was, was coming out. So couldn't figure out why he was drinking, why the water wouldn't go down. So with all this trouble breathing, his wife and then his son jokingly said, well, dad, I wonder if you swallowed your ear pod and that's why the water won't go down. Ha ha ha. So sure enough, um, as the breathing and, and, and the fact that this obstruction was happening with him, he went to the emergency room. They did an x-ray, and lo and behold, they found the AirPod. And if you're watching on our video feed, you can see that uh, there is the x-ray of the AirPod in there. So the, the, um, the surgeon said he was actually quite lucky because sometimes the way these things could go in, that um, they could have got caught in the lung or it could have gone actually in the stomach and it could have really caused um, a real problem and, and actually killed him if it was um, lodged in there differently. So the doctor did an endoscopy and went in there with a very thin tube and was able to pull out this ear bu- <laughs> <The> AirPod. <laughs> and uh, thankfully, they said uh, he had minimal, you know, minimal discomfort. But, um, and it was, you know, he shortly had a meal afterward and he was fine. And uh, he said, you know, he thanked the staff. He said the uh, the headphone worked fine afterwards. The only thing that didn't work was the microphone function was broken. <laughs> and uh, the doctor said he was extremely, extremely lucky. But they said you probably should not sleep with these things because as you roll around, um, if it does fall out of your ear and it, it uh, obviously went into his his mouth and he had swallowed it. And um, the doctor said he's quite lucky. It could have turned out to be a lot worse. A lot worse. Yeah. But um, so I thought that was kind of funny. I, uh, I guess. Well, it worked out well. And the thing that I find amusing is, um, that only one part of that didn't work anymore. And that was the microphone thing. So glad he's okay. Right. Yeah. So yes, that's it. So, um, Hey, many of you know that, uh, our friends at deep discount are partners here on the focus group and they've got a modern horror sale going on right now. And these are films from 2000 forward. I have to tell you, I'm not a huge fan of the horror genre. Richard is, though. Richard loves it. He was excited. We were looking through this together of certain films. And uh, I had gone through and I picked out a film called Penny Dreadful. And because, John, you know that I like suspense and I like tension. And I'm not I'm not the gore kind of guy. I get I get upset when things are really gory or or things are um, a bloody sort of thing. But this this was more about um, suspense and tension and um, that kind of, you know, make your, make you um, just kind of, you know, make your skin crawl so, sort of thing with, with I, fear, I, I guess. I more. noticed that Mimi Rogers is in this movie. Yeah, Mimi Rogers is in it. Uh, Mickey Jones, Michael Berryman, Rachel Miner. It's, uh, it's only 90 minutes long, which 92 minutes long, which I love. Originally came out in 06. It's about a woman who's taken on a road trip by her therapist in order to overcome her fear of cars. And then, of course, well, <laughs> it was... <laughs> they pick up, they encounter a, a deadly hitchhiker, and uh, then they face the race to stay alive. Many people put this in their top um, of horror top films 50 of, of all horror films of all times, okay. just for the tense and the suspense of it. So I saw that and I thought, well, that would be a pretty good one that I probably right. would like. But now, so Penny you Dreadful can pick it up for $10, $10.90 at, uh, during the uh, modern horror sale at uh, Deep Discount. Penny Dreadful for you. Um, I was surprised to see this film listed in the in the horror, um, you know, modern horror section. However, I agree with its listing. It's a sci-fi movie called District Nine, and it was directed by Neil Blom- Blomkamp, South African um, film director. 
And District 9 takes place about 20 years after an alien ship arrives above Johannesburg, just parks and parks above the city. And an alien race named prawns, due to their shrimp-like appearance, live in a area. It's kind of a, um, it's kind of a, a look at segregation, a whole bunch of other things. And this one detective who is helping to relocate these aliens gets injected with some fluid, and it slowly begins to transform him into one of these aliens, which is kind of gross. Um, many of you may know or have seen the movie, and Neil Blom, uh, Blomkamp, who directed it, went on to direct the movie called Elysium um, with Jodie Foster about a orbiting paradise space station where everybody lives on Earth in squalor and disease, and if you get up there, you're going to live forever. <laughs> didn't do too well. This did very well, though. But it's called District 9. And um, it, it, is, it does qualify, not just as sci-fi, but as modern horror, at least in my opinion. And then the new release this week, I think, was amusing because you know this gentleman, and it would be uh, the very excellent Mr. Dundee. And Tim did work with um, the man who portrayed Crocodile Dundee, which would be Paul Hogan back in your Subaru days, right? Yeah, Paul Hogan. So this is uh, the very excellent Mr. Dundee released uh, this week. And um, it's it's about uh, everybody knows Crocodile Dundee and the characters uh, that he played in the Australian Outback. And when I worked at Subaru, uh, Paul Hogan was was credited with really putting Subaru back on the map with representing the Outback uh, brand of products that Subaru had, the Outback uh, models of products. And um, this movie is about beyond homesickness for Australia, the 80-ish, 80-celeb Paul Hogan playing a fictionalized version of himself, is uh, pretty much used to his choir retirement in L.A. However, his angry granddaughter's insistence that he accept the knighthood he declined and pushy producers gets him to go back to Australia. And, of course, I'm sure he probably reprises his role. John Cleese is in it, Chevy Chase, Livy Newton-John. I'm sure probably back to what we're used to with Paul Hogan. Exactly. It's going to be more of the Crocodile Dundee antics. So, um Head over to focusgroupradio.com, click on the deep discount logo, which is a shark called Sharky, Arr, the shark, and begin your shopping experience. It, it's at the Modern Horror Sale, and uh, Tim picked Penny Dreadful. I'll run through these quickly again. I picked um, District 9, and the new release is the very excellent Mr. Dundee, referring, of course, to Crocodile Dundee. So um, stay with us. We're going to take a really quick break. And when we return, we have a shop talk about the perils of social media coming up. And at the end of the show, we have our universally well-loved and regarded business birthday, the only in the universe. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Focus Group with Tim and John. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. The Focus Group, an entertaining look at the outside of business. For your convenience, listen anytime, anywhere, anyway, anyhow, and on anything. Got it? Head over to focusgroupradio.com and pick your poison. We're all business, except when we're not. Hey, welcome back to The Focus Group. Tim Bennett here, as always, with my good friend and co-host, Mr. John T. Nash. Head over to focusgroupradio.com to learn more about us. And also find all of our media there. That's where it's housed, including our podcast, which is TFG Unbuttoned. So later on in the show here, as we promised, we've got Shop Talk and then our business birthday. Before we do that, we're going to take care of a little business we spoke of 
on a uh, last week's show regarding the Super Bowl and an advertisement with Jeep, which uh, featured Bruce Springsteen. And there's been some news lately about um, allegedly Bruce Springsteen may have um, received a DUI or drinking uh, under the influence or whatever your state calls it. Uh, in a New Jersey park, um, supposedly some police officers observed him taking a shot of tequila with some fans. But the bigger issue, and the question I would ask you, John, is if you were the head of Jeep that just spent in, in upwards of $20 million just to um, buy the airtime on the Super Bowl, because it was $5.5 million for a 30-second spot, and they did a two-minute uh, two commercial, plus whatever it cost to produce and make the commercial, which was probably well over a million dollars, plus whatever you paid Bruce Springsteen. So they immediately pulled the commercial from TV. So if, because of what this alleged incident with Springsteen. So if you're the head of marketing at Jeep and you've just invested all this money, they immediately pulled the commercial. What, what would you have done if you were the, the head of marketing? Would you have pulled the commercial or would you have, how would you have handled that? So first I would have found an empty space room or a trailer to cry in <laughs> because you've pulled off this thing where you get Bruce Springsteen to do his first TV commercial ever, right? And it's for Jeep and it's this really incredible thing about uh, being in the middle, not being on left or right, you know, the whole sides thing because of the political backdrop and you're excited, you're thrilled, it airs, it gets great reviews and then suddenly boom, uh, you know, the boss is sidelined with the DUI, which doesn't even compute because that's never happened in Bruce Springsteen's career ever. Am I, mis am I not mistaken about that? Right. So now you have, um, you probably have the CEO, you probably have the head of communications, you probably have a whole bunch of people knocking on your door. What are you going to do? 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 What are we going to do, Tim? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Kill your sister. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um but um bump. <laughs> yeah, that's a total but um bump. Um I think they made a decision. They I think they they fell on the line of okay, uh we can never be a manufacturer of automobiles and endorse any type of drinking and driving. So they probably held the decision right at that point. Like cuz if you start parsing and sorting and saying uh, law enforcement has some inconsistent stories. Bruce's lawyer is saying one thing. The, uh, the the cops are saying something else. There may be a political overtone. It gets into the mud and it gets it it starts making the spot literally be about sides, which it was, but not about sides in the way they wanted it to be. So I guess you would pull it, but you would do so with a huge amount of regret and egg on your face because you're talking multi million dollar effort not just the bruce part as tim outlined but uh tim and i used to talk about this all the time in the auto world you don't shoot a commercial for less than nine hundred thousand that involves a car or a street or a road or people right right and, and it's the perils of using celebrity yep. in advertisements yep. as well i mean there's always a morals clause but as you noted bruce springsteen is is beyond just using celebrity it was somebody who's never done an ad before they've been trying to get him for 10 years he's never endorsed a product quote unquote and so that there's that issue alone. But even when um, we had used uh, in my in my day, when we used Martina Navratilova and Lance Armstrong, both, mm -hmm. which could be controversial figures in their own. Right. Yeah. Um, there was always the chance of maybe they would say something. Maybe they would behave in a certain way. Maybe they would do something that would uh, would offend um, a potential consumer or whatever. And you have to be prepared for it. 
And so I don't know what you do in these sort of situations, but I'm not so sure I would have been quick to have pulled the the spot. I mean, it, it almost felt as if he was guilty until proven innocent in this mm-hmm. case. I was just going to say pulling the spot literally did, whether they did it for safety or they don't want the brand associated with anything to do with drinking and driving, it, it sort of cemented the story though, right? By pulling it, they're saying, now you have to prove you didn't do anything and we'll air it again. Yeah. And I think it tarnished. I think it tarnished the spot because now, if you go put it back on, it's going to be like, oh, you know, oh, they, you know, I, I don't know. It's it's a, it's a tough one. But you and I have been reading the story, and a number of people had sent it to us, and so that's why we wanted to address it. But even in reading the story, you and I were just confused about, well, what happened? There just doesn't seem to be a clear. He was driving a jeep. Line. He was driving a yeah. motorcycle. He took a shot. He didn't take a shot. He. He was asked to walk 18 steps. He walked, walked 25 steps. or something, whatever. Yeah. There was, there was just, um, someone says it was politically motivated. It wasn't politically motivated. I mean, I don't know. I, these sort of things to me, I never understand what, what, um, and first of all, why it took so long for it to come out. It supposedly happened in November. And there we go again with, you know, if it happened in November, why didn't we hear about it in November? And that would have given the, um, that would have given them a lot of time to either re-edit, reshoot, or do a different thing, or you know what I mean, or or hold it. Who knows, right? Yeah, three three months ago, three months ago. So, well, so there, so there you have it. But so John and I both would have probably handled it differently then, right, John? Mm-hmm. Much differently, which is why we're on the radio. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, so John had found this story from Inc. Magazine, and quite frankly, I read it and I was scared. Mm. I, I, it was scary for me, I guess, when I initially read it. And then when I read it again, I kind of cocked my head, and there were some some thoughts I had along the way. So we'll, we'll right. share it with you. You did what I did then. I read it. I was scared. I read it again. I'm like, okay, there's a couple things here. Right. There's well, there was ways to handle it. So the, the headline is, Internet Trolls Cost This Founder Her Business and Her Home. Here's How to Protect Yourself. So essentially, this is a story about um, a woman named Sarah Christensen. And a couple of years ago, she said she has a she has a successful company. She was looking to hire a marketing manager. And we all talk about this where companies now will look at they will your mine. social media. They'll mine it. And they're gonna, yeah. But yeah, they're going to look and see what you're doing online. And we always tell people, do not put stuff online that you think is going to be controversial. Or particularly if you're out in job hunting or at any time, quite frankly. And we've probably all made the mistakes or said something that maybe you shouldn't have online. But in this case, um, this woman, uh, Sarah Christensen, is out looking for a marketing manager. She ends up uh, asking a couple of the applicants to send them links to their social media pages. And this one woman sends a link to, I believe it was Instagram. Yeah, it was Instagram. And the one picture had the woman um, standing by a pool in a very revealing bikini. And so the, um, the employer crops the picture, takes the woman's head off the bikini. The woman's name was uh, Chloe, I think was her last name, Emily Chloe. So the the employer takes, crops the picture with her head and posts it and says, oh, by the way, you know, PSA announcement. If you're looking for a job and you, the employer asks you for social media um, links, make sure you're aware of what you're posting and don't send pictures like this. I'm looking for a professional marketer, not a bikini model. And then obviously the applicant sees this and asks her to take it down. And then John, you can take it from there as to what, what ensues. 
Well, um, before that, the article poses the question, was this a bad idea? Because Christensen, the woman who owns this company, the successful business, and she's looking for the marketing director, um, my intent, she says, was to communicate to new employees that employers do look at your social media, but obviously that was not how it landed in the world. So when the article says, was it a bad idea, I this is on the second reading, this is where I said to myself, you bet, it was a bad idea. And um, the concept... So, was what, so, I'm, so maybe I read that wrong. So was, was this a bad idea, meaning what? Was it a bad idea for Christensen to post this of the applicant? Yes, or? to take the okay. photo, crop the head off, and say, and pose the question to her followers, is this how you want to be seen uh, in the professional world? So, um, Chloe basically what she did is she took the reposted image that Christensen had done and had posed that question of, would you please be aware that people are going to look at your social media? And she puts on Twitter this image and she says, I was objectified earlier today by a company because of a picture of me in a bikini. That tweet gathered a little attention, Christensen says. Then at She Rates Dogs, which is some handle of a user which has over 500,000 followers retweeted it and closed complaint went viral some blogs picked it up and then it went bigger Christensen says then the mainstream media picked it up and then it was this out of control inferno over the next couple of days the internet mob attacks Christensen every way it could every asset I had for my business was destroyed she says my podcast had thousands of bad reviews anything I had online was just inundated my clients were also attacked and told in no uncertain terms that they needed to not do business with me anymore. The mob also flooded Facebook and other social media with complaints that Christensen had violated their terms of service, which resulted in all her accounts being shut down. This is the, Then it goes to the next, like, DEFCON 5, right? Death threats poured in, not just to Christensen, Christensen but also to her clients. Unsurprisingly, they all left her. And then, th then the next level above that, now we're at like, I don't know, the military command's getting ready to hit the nuclear button. <laughs> then she was doxxed, which means her home address and other personal information was published online. She began receiving death threats at home. I had an eight-page handwritten letter sent to my house telling, in great telling her in great detail how they're going to kill me and my family and cut my dog's head off. Badly rattled, Christensen called in law enforcement. The FBI said that in these circumstances, most of the credible threats are from people who are highly practiced and can make themselves anonymous. So the FBI generally can't find them before something wow. happens. Fearing for their lives, Christensen and her family sold their house. We lived all sorts of random places for more than six months trying to run away from the doxing and the death threats. Now, more than a year later, they have a home again, but very few people know where. I kind of live underground. I don't tell my neighbors what my name is. I have to fiercely protect our physical safety because it's still an issue. Christensen says she's still radioactive and couldn't get a job at Starbucks. But after a year of trauma, she's gone public, at least professionally, as a speaker and consultant, sharing what she's learned, warning business owners that the same thing could happen to them, and teaching them how to protect themselves. Here's her advice. Now, before we go into the advice, um, and I would just ask you this question as well, would it all starts with a bad decision, right? And um, I have a, personally, I'm just going to say this personally, I have a hate-hate relationship with social media. I love seeing what people are doing. I love the birthday aspect, and I like connecting with old friends. So maybe it's not a love-hate or a hate-hate. But there's a lot of who we are on social media is who, who, not who we are in the real world. I would say that to be the truth. 
And a lot of people invest a lot of time and energy into the social platforms as if they were tangible, physical, real things, like going to the store, seeing right. a friend for coffee, whatever. And so did the reaction of this, you know, this thing getting picked up by someone with 500,000 users and it goes explosive, did it surprise me? No, everybody looks for lightning in a bottle. They want this to happen, but not in this way. So I just think you have to be very cautious about what you put up, right? Yeah, I, yes. And I wondered, so this reminded me a little bit of what's happened to these people recently that stormed the Capitol. Yeah. So a lot of them that were in businesses, they're been, been ruined because they stormed the Capitol. And then whether there was a woman in Texas who owned a flower shop, there was a guy in Chicago that had a successful research firm. They've gotten bad reviews. Their companies have lost clients. I mean, their businesses have essentially been been folded because of uh, because of what they did. This is a different situation, but I thought exactly what you said earlier. And then now that I, I see what you said, why she just didn't cancel? If she really felt that it was a bad idea for this woman to have posted the picture, or she sent the link of her in the bikini, maybe she should have just picked up the phone and said, "Hey, Emily." You know, um, I think you're very qualified to um, interview for the job, but can I give you a word of advice? You know, when you, um, you know, are out marketing yourself, maybe use a different name or perhaps you just, um, you know, mm. probably shouldn't show a, a picture like that. People may take it the wrong way. Um, I certainly don't. I understand. Blah, 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 or however you would do it. I've had to do it with my nieces to say, you know, you need to be careful about what kind of pictures you post if you're out looking for a job or you're a teacher or whatever you do. I, I've all had to do it. I had a, a friend of mine from college had posted a picture of me from the fraternity and he and I had one too many drinks and he had posted a picture of us. And, you know, we were 20 years old, 18, 19, 20 years old. And I immediately sent him a note and said, Dan, not cool. And he, he immediately got back to me and said, yeah, you're right. He said, you're right, I'm sorry, because I because I thought it was funny. He said, you could send it to me, and I, I think it's a funny picture, but not for 10,000 people to see. Yeah, you know, and, and— A funny picture. So, as I said earlier about the—I um, just think the decision to take someone's picture who is a candidate for a position in your company and to crop it and then post it, even the cropping is not going to— um, eliminate the fact that you've made a decision to use someone else's photography right. without their permission and you got it from their social account and she, and and the circumstances of her being photographed in a bikini are completely her own she could be by a pool a beautiful woman in a bikini a, a guy could be in a bathing suit i mean so i still think it you know so the, 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 christensen the woman who was affected by this had uh four or five steps to take to protect herself and the first thing she says is don't assume it can't happen to you even if your social media is completely inoffensive I have issue with this right off the bat. She might she might have thought what she was doing it was inoffensive and helping others to prepare for a job interview or to recognize that in fact people and companies can look at your social media feed. But it was offensive to the candidate who realized that she used her image, right? Right. And did it in a way that was kind of snarky and and she and the candidate didn't even have the benefit of a private conversation for the woman saying, you know, I love your credentials and stuff, but um, I really don't know about some of the social, you know, I'm getting at, like, there was just no dialogue. She just used the image. So I take that with a grain of salt, but you know, if it is, if you're pick, if you're putting up pictures of flowers and birds and dogs and trees and cats, I guarantee you you're safe. 
unless yeah, someone what I had to eat last night. unless someone doesn't like a dog, a tree, or a cat, right? What's the other yeah, one that the, she had? The second thing she said, she said, have a plan. And I initially thought this seemed like overkill. So she said, have a plan. Businesses need to have a plan for this because when you're in it and you have no plan, you cannot respond in a thoughtful way, especially if the lives of you and your family are being threatened, she says. Your plan should include lining up PR and legal services with experience in this area because of the complexities involved. You need reputation management and physical security. I thought this was a little crazy. Um, what I didn't understand about this and is... Right. If you're a small agency, for instance, I thought you and I, you and I have Triberry Productions. We're, a, we're an ad agency, marketing agency. We don't have a plan for this. We're, I think we're smart enough as to how we post things and how we, we manage ourselves. But... Would we have a, we don't have a reputation management and physical security firm ready to go, do we? Well, no, because w what we're talking about here and on Unbuttoned, our Tuesday podcast, is, is often stories that are coming directly to us from the world of marketing, advertising, and career, and, and resume stuff, and consumer culture. And so you can have an opinion about some of this stuff, but we're not... We're not doing what I said earlier. We're not taking a, a job candidate's image from their social media feed, which they provided to you because you right. asked for it for a job situation. And then you've cropped a photo, put a warning label on it saying, don't do this if you're doing a marketing job because I'm not hiring a bikini model. And then you throw it out into the universe and look what comes back. So I think what we're reading when she says have a plan is the slingshot effect of, oh my God, right. the worst in the world happened to her for sure. And now this is getting dealt with this way. This right. next one is just sensible for anything. Keep your home address and personal information private. Um, as far as you can do that, good luck, because you and I have actually sometimes we randomly, Tim and I will sit down and say, I wonder what happened to so-and-so. Maybe it's someone we grew up with. <laughs> right. I will tell you that it's fairly an amazing thing that you could find out where some, you know, you could find a lot out, even without your information being um, made available via your social media feeds. So that one, I'm just like, okay, that's just sensible to not put it out there. To, so, so it's obviously findable, but it's findable, right? Yeah. The one thing I did question here, though, there was one thing where she says, when you go to the dentist, they don't need to know your home address. They do. But a lot of times, a lot of times with insurance, they will ask, are you still at blank, blank, blank. So mm -hmm. I, I thought that was a little yeah. bit odd. The number four was rethink your dependence on social media. And, um, you know, she had said that a lot of her work was done around social media and she relied on social media. I think that's an issue if you do think that um, so much of your business is going to rely on that. And I know a lot of people do, but um, I think you need to have a, a more a robust uh, campaign and not just think you're going to rely on one form of social media because if it does go out or it does, you do get uh, removed from the platform, you're going to be in trouble. My thought about this whole thing though, regarding this rethink your dependence on social media, when she started talking about her accounts being hijacked and people sending her DMs and people um, giving her bad reviews on Instagram or accounts, why didn't she just shut them off? Close them down, yeah. But it it go it loops back to what you said that 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 she viewed her her leads and the value of her business and what she was doing was happening through the social media stuff, and and Tim and I will agree with this. Um, we had a conversation just a week ago about Facebook and about something they changed on the platform. You do not own anything. The minute you put it on Facebook, you are giving the platform free and clear. Um, use of that material and they can change it they can change its display they can do whatever they like so i think you're right in the in a nutshell you know the reliance should not be on that as a business uh, platform it's it's a useful thing right but yeah. 
And at the very end, she just says, decide what your public positions will be. Uh, should your company comment on political issues, et cetera? That, that's a, something that plagues any company, large and small. It, it's discussed, it's talked about, and I would often point out to clients that neutral was a nice, safe place to be. <laughs> Unless, of course, you were making a statement by changing hiring policies for LGBT individuals to allow for partner benefits and stuff like that. And that's sometimes an important thing for a company to put a stake in the sand and say, we believe in our employees. But broader politics, Tim taught me a lesson a long time ago. Many companies devote to both candidates equal amounts because you never know who's going to win. But that's about as far as they go, right? Right. Because you're not going to change anybody's mind. It's like having yeah. the discussion about abortion. Whether you believe whether you believe in a woman's right to choose or not, you're not going to change anybody's mind. So yeah. it's not worth getting in a fight about and taking a position in many cases. So. so be careful online. Yes, 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 yes. Our business birthday today. Everyone does celebrity birthday greetings, but the Focus Group is the only show in the universe that celebrates business birthdays. So our business birthday today comes to us on February 17th, uh, born February 17th, and uh, 1917 uh, is Guillermo Gonzalez Camarena. So it's February 17th, 19, oh, geez, February 17th, 1918. I get all the dates screwed up with my dyslexia. He was a Mexican electrical engineer who was the inventor of the color wheel type of color television. He also introduced color television to the world. He was born in Guadalajara, Mexico. He invented the chromoscopic adapter for television equipment, which was an early television, early color television transmission system. He applied for U.S. patent. Uh, in his late teens, early 20s, and he finally, in uh, 1941, was able to obtain the patent for color TV. He said his invention related to the transmission and reception of colored pictures or images by wire or wireless. His invention was designed to be to make it easy to adapt black and white television equipment. And um, he had sold his first set in 1954 for $1,450 for color TV. <laughs> So we have we have Guillermo to blame for taking us from uh, the world of black and white. We had to imagine what things look like because I grew up with the black and white until my grandmother willed yeah, we us all, for color we television. <laughs> yeah, he said he also filed for additional patents for color television in 1960 and 1962. The uh, very first color transmission of uh, uh, television uh, in the lab was in Mexico City, and. Uh, he had also obtained authorization to make the first publicly announced color broadcast in Mexico in 1963. He sadly died in a car accident in Pueblo on uh, April 18th in 1965 at the age of 48 while he was inspecting a television transmitter in Veracruz. But, um, you know, I never knew I never knew who he was. It was funny. I was going through the list and I saw his name as the inventor of uh, color TV. The so actual I thought, well, color. Cool. It is very cool. So, and I love when these kinds of business birthdays come up because this is a technology that transformed what was there being black and white and made it something spectacular color. And here we all are glued to our TV. So thank you, Guillermo. And thank you, business birthday, Tim. And thank you all for joining us today. Um, remember to subscribe, like, and rate the focus group and check out TFG unbuttoned our uh, Tuesday podcast available on Tuesdays, but also everything's always at focusgroupradio.com. And a big thanks to deep discount. Check out their uh, modern horror sale. Go to our site, focusgroupradio.com, click on their logo and begin your shopping journey. So everybody stay safe, have a great week, and we'll see you in the new one.
It's The Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Accessible on all platforms. Subscribe, like, and rate us on your platform of choice. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. That was a stunning focus group.